turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Today's going to be a day that uh, I'm going to be doing a lot of reading. Some things that I wrote and some things that other people wrote. So hopefully that's not boring for you. I hope you find interest in it. I hope it helps you as we continue to study this subject of increasing your faith in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now that's just a verse that's probably familiar to most of you. I, I, I just wanted to point out some things about this verse because they pertain to the lesson today. So first of all, the Bible says there that it is inspired by God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word actually means God breathed. God breathed the words. He gave the words to the men that wrote down what we have today as the books of the Bible. Okay? It says that in the Bible. It claims that, that it's God breathed. It says then that it is profitable for doctrine. Now doctrine uh, in, in a... Uh, short, maybe not exactly uh, descriptive definition, doctrine is basically what we should believe. And it's what we should believe because God, it's God-breathed, it's what we should believe according to God. Understand, that's what the Bible is claiming about itself. It also then says that it's profitable for reproof. And that's for telling us what is wrong according to God. What things are wrong? What should we not be doing? It tells us that. It's profitable for correction. That's for correcting us when we're doing wrong. It's profitable for that. It claims that. And it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. That's teaching us how to do right, how to live godly lives. Okay. So that in a very small nutshell, <laughs> is what the Bible claims about itself. And that's going to be important as we continue uh, this series of lessons, Increasing Your Faith in the Bible. We've been considering these questions of whether or not the Bible can believe, be believed, whether or not we can trust it, whether it is accurate, is it correct? Now, for anybody that wasn't here the first three weeks of this series, the, the first three weeks, uh, first three Sundays of August, I've presented quite a lot of evidence in the past few weeks. Uh, and I, I believe, I think you would have a hard time not answering the question, can it be believed, is it accurate? I think you'd have a hard time not saying, well, it is absolutely correct, it is absolutely accurate. I've shown you that, and not only that, but I've shown you that beyond a reasonable doubt, as they would say in a court of law, right? <clears throat> I've, I've provided evidence that was from the Messianic prophecies the first week. I've provided evidence from historical prophecy. We've talked about the scientific accuracy of the Bible. We've talked about the historical accuracy of the Bible. And in this lesson, what we're going to talk about is another really good question. I think it's a good question, and, and hopefully you're asking this question if you, if you haven't placed your faith in the Bible and the scriptures and believed them to be the word of God. If you haven't done that yet, this is an important question. 
Because if the Bible is accurate, if it's true, if it is the word of God given to us by God himself, if that's true, then does it actually have an effect on people's lives? Because if it doesn't, what, what good is it really? Think about that. I don't mean to be irreverent. I mean, this is God's word. I believe this. <laughs> I believe this with, with all my heart. I believe all of it, not just pieces of it, all of it. So we have to look at whether or not it affects people's lives, right? And what I'm going to present today is evidence from individuals that, have pre, uh, that, that individuals have given about their own personal experiences with the scriptures and how it's affected them. Now I'm going to start with my testimony. Um, not, uh, it does contain my salvation testimony, but I've written something a little different here than, than you've all, if you've been here for very long, you've probably heard my testimony. I think I gave it, pastor had me come up and give my testimony about how I got saved. That's in here, uh, in, in the, the light version, <laughs> the, but, but this is about really how the Bible has affected me. All right. So uh, if it seems like I'm reading, it's because I am, uh, rather than just doing this contemporaneously, I just, I just wanted to have certain thoughts to hear, because I want you to really think about this. Um, so before I trusted Christ as my Savior, I was living my life how I wanted. Realized I didn't get saved until I was 32 years old. Okay? So I was striving for what the world calls success, and what the world teaches will bring happiness. I was focused on my career. My family, raising my family, I had young children in my 20s. <clears throat> I was focused on my golf game and having fun. I enjoyed those things. <laughs> I was focused on my stuff. I say it that way. I mean, it was, I had a house and I had cars and I had a boat and I had a snowmobile and I had stuff. You know, ty typical American, right? This is what, this is what Americans do. But the things of God and the subject of where I would spend eternity wasn't really part of my daily life. It just was not. I didn't think about it that often. I had been raised in the Catholic Church. I got away from that when I was in my teens, when I went to college, and never really went to church after that, and just sort of didn't, preferred not to think about God and the things of eternity. That's kind of how I think a lot of people are today. But then, in my early 30s, I came to understand that I was separated from God because I was a sinner. I had transgressed God's laws, who knows how many times. Many of you have heard uh, pastors, uh, the, the example that he uses a lot in soul winning about sinning three times a day. I'm sure it was way more than that for 30-some years. So I came to understand that I was separated from God and that I had transgressed his laws and I was guilty before him. I didn't have any question about that. I knew I was guilty. And that guilt meant that I was on my way to an eternity in a place called hell. And there was nothing that I could do to save myself from that punishment. No matter how much I tried to be a good person, no, ma no matter how much I tried to do good things, no matter how much I went to church, nothing that I could do was going to absolve me of my sins that I had committed 
and nothing I did was going to save me from hell. I realized that. Right around 31 years old. <clears throat> now, where did I get that idea from? The Bible. That, that's what it says. <laughs> and just so you all understand, it doesn't just say that about me. It says that about you, too. Every person on earth, that's exactly what it says. Okay. So because I had a coworker, this is, this is the short part. It's just short in here. I've given you the, the, the details if you were here not too long ago. Uh, I had a coworker who started telling me what the Bible actually says. So I had learned some things in my younger years from the church I mentioned I was a part of that really weren't according to the Bible. They were according to their traditions. And they, in many cases, kind of conflicted with what the Bible said. So that was concerning to me. But this coworker started telling me what the Bible actually says. He started showing me. And I started going to a church that believed what the Bible says, that it's true, that it's God's word, and that they preach it. They still do today. But at the same time that I had learned how much trouble I was in, that I was going to hell, at the very same time, uh, I learned that God loved me so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to suffer and die in my place. He came and took the punishment for my sins so that I wouldn't have to. I learned that if I would only believe in him and on what he had done for me at the cross of Calvary, I would and if I would simply ask Jesus to save me from my sins, he would. I learned that. Where do you think I learned that? From the Bible. Because that's what it says. <laughs> and it says that not about me, but it says that about me and every other human on earth. Okay? So I learned that if I would ask Jesus to save me, he would save me and I could go to heaven instead of hell when I died. So I ended up getting saved. I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior and what he had already done. I knew he was the Son of God. And I asked Jesus to forgive my sins, to save my soul, to be my Savior, and, this is something I think people forget sometimes, to be my Lord, the Lord of my life. Okay. So there's the part you've heard, so you've heard before maybe, in a little different words. But then as I studied the Bible, I learned that it has a lot more to say than just those things. Now, I shared with you the first week that the main reason the Bible was written was for that, what I just told you. That's the reason. But there's a lot more there. <clears throat> I learned that the Bible was full of instructions and full of encouragement for me and full of warnings about how I should and should not live my life. Now today, I'm just jumping ahead for a second, today the Bible makes, and what it says, what God had to say in it, makes most of my decisions for me. I, I like that. I don't have to wonder what I should think about that and what I should do about that, or should I do this, or should I not do that. Or uh, you know, The Bible will answer your questions. God gave us the answers. It's an amazing, amazing book. So it helps me make decisions today. That takes a lot of pressure of life off of me. Okay? <clears throat> and isn't that what Jesus said would happen? Right? We were supposed to give him our, our burdens. Right? 
The Bible also says, I learned, that, that I and all men would be judged out of that book, out of this book, the Bible. We're going to be judged out of it one day. Now, if you don't know what the Bible says, that should bother you immensely. <laughs> right? Right? you got to know what it says. So I studied and I studied and I studied and I studied. <clears throat> and so that thought that, that I was going to be judged out of this book made me read it and read it and read it. I've never stopped for 20, however many years that is. It's, it's, once it's past 20, I don't count anymore. <laughs> I was 32. I'm almost 56, so you do the math. Uh, I'm an engineer. I need a calculator to do that. <laughs> so the, the thought of that, that I would be judged, and the work of the Holy Spirit in me, I received the Holy Spirit when I trusted in Christ. That's what the Bible says happens. God gives you the Holy Spirit. That changed me. It changed how I looked at life. Completely how I looked at life. And it changed how I thought of eternity. Rather than preferring not to think about it. Now, don't get me wrong when I say this. Now I look forward to it. I'm not looking forward to the dying process. I, you know, I, I've talked about that before. I, <laughs> I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't want to know when it happens. The Lord will give me grace to, to get through it. And then I'll be with him. That's the part I'm looking forward to. Eternity. Forever. So the book is still changing me. That's why I come to church. That's one of the reasons I've said before, I actually like to, to teach. The reason I like to teach is because I can share with you some things that I've learned, uh, but mostly it makes me study even more. Right? It forces me to. If I got up here and had nothing prepared, uh, you'd all just look at me funny and say, Pastor, hey, you know, maybe not that guy. <laughs> right? So anyway... So in this life, some of the things that I've learned, and many of the things that I've learned, um, means that now I have direction. I don't have to wonder. I have a place to look for answers for everything in my life. All parts of my life. The answers are in here. I have a source of encouragement. Read the Psalms. It's very encouraging. <laughs> I know God's plan. I know how it unfolded throughout history, because we have that today. And I know how it ends. I know how the world ends. I'm not telling you I know when, but I know how. <laughs> it's all in the Bible. I know the answers of life's big questions, the ones that we all come to at one time or another. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going when I die? I know the answers. You can too. <laughs> they're, they're, they're in here. Okay. So, so those are important for me. Uh, when I learned those things, it was import, important that I not only saw those things and what God had said, but that I saw them happening in my life. Right? Because the Bible says that it does all those things. It does. I, I'm here to tell you. I've been doing it for 20, if you did the math, 20 and whatever it was. <laughs> my calculator's back there. <clears throat> so my life has purpose today, and that has nothing to do with my job, my work, which is good because I don't have one anymore. <laughs> right? I'm glad I learned that. This is why, by the way, one of the most common question, for those of you that don't know, I retired last summer. Um, 
the most common question I get is, well, are you bored yet? Second most question is, well, do you miss, it, miss the work? <laughs> most of you that are working are laughing, right? Oh, no. <laughs> um, that's because I learned really early on in my Christian walk that my job is just a means to support my family. That's it. People in careers like I had, at least a lot of the colleagues I know, they have nothing else in their lives. And they make the mistake of defining themselves by what they do for a living. Don't do that. That is a mistake. It's okay to say, I'm an engineer. That's okay. Or to ask somebody, what do you do for a living? There's nothing wrong with that question. It's a good conversation starters. It's kind of interesting what people do for a living sometimes. But don't ever define yourself by that. That's a mistake. <clears throat> now, I could stand here for hours and tell you how blessed I am, and most of you would just think I was boasting, and, I, and I'm not. I'm just pointing at God. He did it. And I have that peace which passes all understanding, which the Bible says I should have. <laughs> I have joy. And when this life is over, I know where I'm going. Heaven. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because Jesus saved me. It's that simple. Now, I'm not sure, of all the things that I just said, I'm not sure how many of you don't want that. Or why you wouldn't want that. What is it you're really looking for in life? What, 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 what is it? Because it's that. It, it's what I just said. And you could have it too, if you let the book affect you. Okay? And my point is that the, my personal experience is evidence that the Bible is true. It was written by God, and you can trust it. Because it claims to provide all those things that I just mentioned. I'm here testifying to that fact. It does that. Okay. <clears throat> I experience it every day. And the best part of personal experience is that no one can tell me it's not true. I, I, I don't doubt that there's somebody that thinks I'm nuts. People that think I'm lying. I'm not. 100%. It's true. And no one will ever change my mind about that. You can have that too. That, that certainty. Some people call it, call it uh, that much certainty a bad thing. It's not. It's, it's certainty that comes through experience. And, and by faith, of course, which is the whole point of this class, right? We're trying to, we're trying to uh, increase your faith in the Bible. Maybe some that haven't trusted in Christ yet. And you, you're wondering if the Bible is even true and what it says. I'm here to tell you it is. Trust in Christ. Do it today. Those of you that may be trusted in Christ recently and you haven't really read through the Bible yet, I'm telling you, read it. Because all those things are the benefits okay, that I mentioned. Those of you that have been saved for a long time and you know the Bible's true, you have the same testimony as me. <laughs> right? So there's those of you, what I'm trying to do is just give you, that's what the last three weeks, is giving you some evidence that you can use as you talk to other people to try and convince them. Because it's one thing to, to stand in front of somebody and say, look, the Bible's true, the Bible's true, the Bible's true. But if you have some other things to help them start increasing their faith, it will help them. This is, these are the things, as, as an engineer, I had to study my way around this. Where I wasn't going to trust Christ, right? I had to look at it from every direction. Well, that's what caused me to study. And it's some of the things that I presented to you the last three weeks 
that got me to the point of saying, you know what, this is true. This is true. There's no way I can not believe this, if I'm being at all honest. So there's lots and lots and lots of other Christians that have the very same testimony. They have the very same experience as me. So many over the centuries, in fact, that you cannot ignore it as a phenomenon. It is something that is absolutely remarkable. There's a man named uh, Kenneth Scott Lauderette. He's an American historian and an educator. He puts it this way. He says, through him, Jesus, movements have been set in motion which have made in society for what mankind believes to be its best in the inward transformation of human lives, in political order, in the production and distribution of goods to meet the physical needs of men, in healing physical ills, in the relations between races and between nations, in art, in religion, and in the achievements of the human intellect. Gauged by the consequences which have followed, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ have been the most important events in the history of man. You can't ignore it. Measured by his influence, Jesus is central in the human story. Christianity, as taught in the Bible, is not a recent fad. The power of the Holy Ghost in Christ's resurrection changed the fearful disciples in the upper room to a group of on-fire evangelists. Have you ever looked at that? What the disciples were like at the Last Supper versus what they became? The same power has changed lives all throughout time. It started hospitals. It spurred people to untold sacrifice. It's freed those with addiction from the bonds of sin, and it saved souls from a devil's hell. So I thought what we would do with the last 15, 20 minutes that we have here, I thought I would share with you um, some other testimonies of people whose lives have been changed by the Bible. Some of you just got nervous. Don't worry. I'm not asking. I'm not going to call out anybody. I'm not putting anybody on the spot. I'm going to read to you examples of, of some things that other people have written about themselves. Okay? So this book that I referred to several times in these lessons, this, this book, Evidence That Demands a, a Verdict by uh, Josh McDowell, it contains 58 testimonies of people that have been changed by the word of God. Okay? There's millions more than that, so you know. right? There's probably, I don't know how many people we have in here, maybe... 3540. There's probably 30 at least testimonies in here <laughs> just like that, okay? So I understand that. <clears throat> but these are people from all walks of life. People from many different nationalities. Um, there's converts from other religions in here. There's there's several skeptics that set out to prove the Bible wrong, but instead ended up being converted and became followers of Jesus Christ. So I just want to read to you, just, just to, I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to read all these to you, I'm going to read a few select ones, but I want to give you who these people are, at least in, in a way. From different occupations, we have people testifying to the fact that the Bible changed their life totally. Okay, A computer expert, a policeman, a former prostitute, a Nazi pilot in World War II, a former criminal, a minister, a professional football coach, a professional golfer, 
a professional tennis player, a professional football player, Miss America, a billionaire, a cartoonist, a movie actor, a singer, an author, a businessman, a medical doctor, a farmer, a former White House aide, a U.S. senator, the former president of the United Nations General Assembly, a city planner, a philosopher, a psychologist, a university lecturer, a former gang leader, a former prisoner. People from Hong Kong, Japan, Brazil, Congo, uh, Native Americans, uh, people from Czechoslovakia, Vietnam, Canada, Thailand, Kenya, Finland, Panama, England, India, Guatemala, Germany, converts from Judaism, from Islam, from Hinduism, from Satanism, um, and then several skeptics, as I said, that set out to, to, to prove the Bible wrong, but ended up being converted to Jesus Christ. It's quite an interesting thing to read, and I can't share them all with you. I've just picked a few of them this morning that I'll read to you, and I hope you find it interesting. Some of them are pretty, pretty interesting, I think. Um, unfortunately, the longest one, which is a fascinating one, uh, is a Satanist. That turned, and I, I'm not going to have time. That's a very long one. It takes a couple, a couple of pages. So I won't have time to read that one to you today. If you want to grab my book while I got it today and you want to read through that, I'll hand it to you. <laughs> You're welcome to read through it. So the one I want to start with is a cartoonist. This is actually a famous cartoonist. You're probably familiar with him. His name is Charles Schultz. He was the creator of Peanuts cartoon, you know, Charlie Brown and Linus and Snoopy, those, those ones. He writes this. He, he said, I grew, up in an, I grew up in an only child, and my mother died the very week I was drafted. Before going into the armed forces, I met a minister from a local congregation. I began to attend services at his church. The more I thought about the matter during those Bible studies, the more I realized that I really loved God. Just notice, where did this happen? At Bible studies. He's studying the Bible. Okay. <clears throat> he says, I f this is now, I feel a, a, a constant gratefulness to God for his patience with me and with all of us. I cannot fail to be thrilled every time I read the things that Jesus said. Where, where does he read those? In the Bible. Right. <laughs> and I am more and more convinced of the necessity of following him. What Jesus means to me is this. In him we are able to see God and to understand his love toward us. Now, is that a salvation testimony? Well, maybe not exactly. But it's a remarkable change in a person from a Bible study and from reading the things that Jesus said. I think that's pretty remarkable. Just to change the type of person, let's go to a farmer. Okay? This is a man named Murray Ferris. He writes this. He says, my ambition as a young man was to be a successful farmer. I decided not to go to college because I liked farm work so well and was needed there. Any way you look at it, I thought I was doing quite well. I didn't really look at myself as being bothered with any kind of problems. I wasn't too aware that I had a disease that no one could cure with medicine, the disease of sin. And if you listen to my testimony earlier, I, was, I just said I was living my life the way I want, want to. That's what that is. It wasn't until I heard the Bible words hmm, from Romans 3.23 that I realized that all my church-going and community, uh, community respectability couldn't keep me free from the consequences of sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. That made it quite clear. 
I needed more than what I could do for myself. I needed to be cleansed by the power of God. This could only come as I trusted in Jesus Christ. Of course, I've been plagued by the disease of sin since then. What man isn't? But I thank the Lord I can go to him for the cure. Christ, by forgiving me each time, arrests the disease of sin. And just as I can get excited about my specific pathogen-free Yorkshires, or cows maybe, I don't don't know what those are. (laughs) I can get excited about telling other men about Jesus Christ. That's why I'm part of a Christian businessmen's committee. I want to be able to invite other men to share in the disease-freeing power of Jesus Christ. Would you say that's a changed life? Where did it happen? It wasn't until I heard the Bible words. He heard the scriptures. He heard God's word. It has an effect. How about a Jewish man that converted from Judaism, became a believer in Jesus Christ? It's a man named Manny Brotman. He says, as I went to the synagogue, I had questions. Does it really matter to God what type of dishes I eat off of? How important is it if I fast and observe certain traditions? Is all there is to life is money and materialism, pleasure and popularity? I read in the scriptures that God would send a perfect sacrifice to atone for my sins, one called the Messiah. But how could I know who this Messiah would be? Then, in the Jewish Bible, what you and I would call the Old Testament, I saw all the prophecies which had identified him such as that he would be born in Bethlehem of Judea, that he would be born of a young maiden who was a virgin, that he would die by crucifixion, and that he would arise from the dead. I knew only one person in all of history that could seriously be considered, Yeshua, known to the Gentiles as Jesus. And this Jewish boy, not being, a very, not being very religious in the privacy of my own room, I prayed, Messiah, if you're there, Come into my heart and life and cleanse me with your precious blood of atonement. It was like being in a dark room and somebody suddenly turned on the lights. God, who had been a million miles away, all of a sudden came closer than my mother, my sister, my hands, or even my breath. I finally found the peace and the purpose and the joy and the reality for which I had been seeking. I was not Jewish. Doesn't that sound a lot like what I told you about my own testimony? And those of you that have been saved for a long time, you studied the scriptures and, and your testimony too, you're saying this is the Holy Spirit testifying to our spirits, right? <laughs> this is real. C.S. Lewis was a skeptic of the Bible. Did you know that? You all know who C.S. Lewis is? Most Christians have heard of C.S. Lewis. Um, C.S. Lewis was a um, uh, he was a man that was a uh, English journalist. Oh, no, I'm sorry, he was an author. He was an author and a, a professor at Cambridge University. That's, that was C.S. Lewis, and he was noted for his wit, his imagination, and clarity of expression. Uh, he was a skeptic about Christianity uh, and about the Bible until he was converted in 1931. Now, he's since written many books about Christianity. Um, The ones that you're perhaps most familiar with are, uh, he wrote some fiction books. Um, um, 
the Chronicles of Narnia. That's what he's probably most famous for. But he wrote several other things, which I'm going to read you a couple excerpts from. Um, but before I get to that, I want to read to you some of the letters that C.S. Lewis wrote before he was saved and after. They're, they're interesting to me. <clears throat> this is a letter that C.S. Lewis wrote to his father in 1928, so a couple years, three years before he was, he was converted. He said, that, remember, he was a college professor. He said, there's a religious revival going on among our undergraduates run by a Dr. Buckman. He gets a number of young men together. Some reports say women too, but I believe not. And they confess their sins t- to one another. Jolly, ain't it? But what can you do? If you try to suppress it, you only make martyrs. <clears throat> so you can see his, his feeling here that there's this revival going on. His view is that they're just confessing their sins to another, one to another. But he actually does say there's a revival going on. And he would like to suppress it. But if I do that, I'm just going to make martyrs of those people. So let's not give him any attention, right? So that's sort of his mindset towards Christianity. He writes this in 1930, again, before he trusted in Christ, to his friend named Owen Barfield. He writes, terrible things are happening to me. The spirit is showing an alarming tendency to become much more personal and is taking the offensive and behaving just like God. You'd better come on Monday at the latest, or I may have entered a monastery. (laughs) Something was happening. (laughs) He's being funny about it. Um, He writes, uh, this was actually, this was written by his brother about C.S. Lewis. He says, I well remember that day in 1931 when we made a visit to Whipsnade Zoo. It was during that outing that he made his decision to rejoin the church. This seemed to me no sudden plunge into a new life, but rather a slow, steady convalescence from a deep-seated spiritual illness of long-standing. And isn't that a good description of sin? Being sin and being unsaved. Here's another one written to his friend Owen Barfield. Uh, This is in 1933, after he was converted. He writes, Since I have begun to pray... I find my extreme view of personality changing. My own empirical self is becoming more important, and that is exactly the opposite of self-love. Before he died in 1963, uh, I mentioned that C.S. Lewis wrote several Christian books, including one called Miracles, one called The Problem of Pain. I don't know if you've ever read these. They are interesting. The doctrine isn't exactly the way. I don't agree with him 100% on things, but um, I do believe that he was a believer in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Let me read to you from one called Mere Christianity that he wrote. This is just a couple excerpts, excerpts from it. <clears throat> this is, again, after he was converted. He says, I am trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. This, that's this, the foolish thing. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a, as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, 
You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So, I don't really have time to get into it, but I'll I'll just share with you. Based on his writings and the writings of of another man, um, uh, and it's something I've taught on before, but some of you have have heard of what's called the trilemma. Uh, What it is, is it's really an evangelistic tool for helping people realize who Jesus Christ is. Okay, I'm just going to run, I won't do it justice, but I want to give you, this is based on C.S. Lewis's writing, who was a skeptic. So he's, in the Bible, Jesus claims to be God, which leaves you with two alternatives. One, that his claims were false, which leaves you with two alternatives. One is that he knew that his claims were false. So you could, it, it could go that way, right? Jesus, Jesus claimed to be God. He, it, that was false, and he knew it, which made him uh, a liar, he was making deliberate misrepresentations. He's also a fool because he died for his claims. So the first one is a liar. It's called the trilemma because there's really only three conclusions you can come to about Jesus. One is that he was a liar. Two, his claims, were, claims to be God were false, but he did not know that his claims were false, which means he was sincerely deluded and he was a lunatic. There's your second option. Or his claims to be God were true. And he's Lord. Which leaves you with two alternatives. Accept him or reject him. That's all there is. Let me give you one more and and then I'll wrap it up here. There was a man named, this one you're probably less familiar with. Um, His his name was uh, Giovanni Papini. He was another skeptic of the scriptures, of the Bible, of Christianity. Although Giovanni Papini was one of the foremost Italian men of letters, he was highly educated, the the publication of his Life of Christ in 1921 came as a stunning surprise to many of his friends and admirers. For Papini had been an atheist, a vocal enemy of the church, and a self-appointed debunker of any form of what he called mysticism. A more unlikely source for a reverent portrait of Jesus Christ could hardly be imagined. What brought about his sudden conversion, so reminiscent of Paul's uh, of Saul's on the road to Damascus, like many cynics, he was, under the surface, a tormented soul, disgusted with a humanity that could accept the First World War, unable to see hope for better things unless somehow the hearts of men could be changed. As he craved, as he later, and he craved, as he later said, a crumb of certitude. During that war, he took his family to live in a mountain village. There, living with the peasants, observing their Bible devotions, something began to happen to him. Sometimes in the evenings, he was asked to read aloud stories from the New Testament. This rediscovery of the Bible against the back, background of his own uncertainties became a revelation to him, and soon he determined to write his own version of the life of Christ. Before long, he became convinced that the only power that could change the hearts of men was the teaching of Jesus Christ. I'll stop there. So I, I just want to finish by saying, look, the, 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 there are several examples there. 
I gave you my testimony. I think I gave you four or five, maybe, uh, people who have written about their own testimony that the Bible has changed them and changed their lives a lot. If you're saved today, if you're heaven bound when you die, if you've uh, accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the written word of God was involved. Either you read the scriptures on your own or from the Bible or someone gave you a gospel track or some other literature or uh, someone else shared the gospel with you verbally, read the scriptures to you. But if you're saved, the Bible's affected your life. Now, maybe it hasn't gone farther than salvation yet, but if you'll read it, if you'll study it, and submit to God's will for you, the Bible can change you completely as it has millions of others through history. So let me ask you, what better evidence is there that the Bible can be believed? There really isn't. I said in the first lesson that God does not require blind faith. I'm glad about that. He requires faith, but not blind faith. God's word is true. He's given it to us, not only to tell us how to live, but so that we might believe. You can trust the Bible. I mentioned you must have faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 11.6, for without faith it is impossible to please him. How do you get that faith? Well, it's an interesting thing. Romans 10.17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The Bible. Put your faith in the word of God, the, 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 the living word of God, that's Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you don't do that, you're going to have a really hard time understanding the scriptures when you're trying to read them, okay? Because you won't yet have the Holy Spirit. But when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you ask him to save you, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells you, and now it's amazing how you can read the scriptures and understand what they say. You, you won't get it all. I mean, you ask somebody like Pastor Cole, who knows the Bible extremely well, he'll tell you there's parts that just don't make any sense to him. And I can say that for sure about myself. But put your faith in Jesus, and then put your faith in the Bible. Let it change your life in every way. Why? So that you can become what God wants you to. So that you can please God. Which, according to the word of God, is the whole reason that you exist in the first place. So you have to read the scriptures to understand these things. Right? Revelation 4.11 says, For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure... They are and were created. Do you think you fit into all things? I think you do. So do I. We were created for God's pleasure. So, okay, stop with like I did early uh, back in my 30s. <laughs> stop doing it your way. See what God has to do, what wants you to do. See what God has for you. Read it. Study it. Why? Because you can trust this. This is the word of God. This is the written word of God. I, I believed that for over 20 years now, and I will die believing that. Okay. Let's pray, and I'll be done. I'm a little over. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to pray for each one here. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help them, uh, Lord, to, and myself as well, Lord, to, to increase our faith uh, in thee, Lord, and what the Bible says, Lord, what you had to say to us, Lord, your revelation of yourself to us. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you've given it to us. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we can use it as a, as a guide. Lord, we pray that... Uh, Anyone that's here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, Lord, might today trust in him, uh, Lord, and, and know that their, their home is in heaven forever. Uh, 
Uh, Lord, I want to pray for the service to follow. Lord, I pray for uh, uh, Pastor Cole as he preaches. Uh, Lord, we pray for the picnic later on. Lord, that it would just be a great time of fellowship. Uh, Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.